quite finished Psalm 51. And we'll finish that in, in uh, 52 and 53 and 54 are small, very short. I don't know how far we'll get. We'll head in that direction. There are some of them six verses. And let's see, 52 is nine verses. 54 is uh, seven verses. 53 is six verses. And we're nearly through with 51. So we'll just uh, start through there and go as far as we can go. Because these small ones, you never can tell how much that you want to say about some of them. But when you take it chapter and chapter, verse by verse, well, you don't miss a whole lot. This 51st Psalm is a psalm of David's uh, prayer after he had sinned against God and he confessed his sin. We got down to about verse uh, 12 where he says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. And he had already uh, asked for God's mercy. He asked to be washed and cleansed and to... He acknowledged his sin. He said his sin was against God. And uh, in verse 5, he says that he was shaping in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. He had a sinful nature. He's a depraved creature like all of us. And he said God desired truth in the inward parts. In verse 6, verse 7, he says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. We expounded all these things in our last lesson. And uh, he said, Make me to hear joy and gladness, verse 8, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Uh, in verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Verse 11, he said, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And verse 12 is where we pick up. It says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. And verse 12 leads us into verse 13, which says, Then, notice the word then, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto unto thee. Verse 12 shows us that after salvation is restored, and joy is restored, and grace is given, then the soul-winning spirit is revived, and he says, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted into thee. It'd be pretty hard for us to win anyone else if we were not joyful ourselves, wouldn't it? It'd be pretty hard for us to witness to anyone if we didn't have the assurance of salvation ourselves. And so, uh, David wanted a reassurance, and he wanted a restoration of joy, and then he would be in a spiritual condition of heart and soul to be able to teach others. And then in verse 14, Notice what he says. This is the outward manifestations of his true repentance, the results of his true repentance. He says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud thy righteousness. Now, if you remember, David is repenting here of the sin that he had in relation to Bathsheba and then Uriah. He'd send him out to the forefront of the battle and had him killed, and he was guilty of his blood. And he says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness. Guiltiness. He was guilty of the blood of an innocent man. David, that great man of God, had fallen. He had sinned. Remember what happened. The Bible says in the record in the book of Second Samuel, I believe it's the 12th chapter, or 11th chapter, he said that when the time, at the time that the kings went forth to battle, David tarried still at Jerusalem. The first thing in his downfall was to slack off of the work of God. We've heard the old uh, story says an idle mind is the devil's workshop. And that's where it began. 
At the time the kings went forth to battle, David tarried still at Jerusalem. And the Bible says that uh, he became restless, restless and rose up off his bed and he looked and he saw Bathsheba. And what happened? The Bible says, As the door turneth upon his hinges, so the slothful upon his bed. He became restless, dissatisfied. And the first thing you know, he, he lusted after the woman and he sent for Bathsheba. He committed adultery. And then he tried to get Uriah down here to cover it up. And he uh, sent him down to his house and Uriah had just come home from the battlefield and he wouldn't go down to his house. It didn't work to try to cover his sin up, did it? It didn't work. You know, a lot of people have plans of how they're going to get by with stuff. David thought, well, you know, I've done wrong, all right, but, you know, I can do like everybody else that does that way. I can kind of cover it up. The Bible says, He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. That led to this 51st Psalm after all that transpired and David was confessing his sin. And when he says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness, he was acknowledging further sin against God and against the, the death of Uriah. If you'll note, notice back in verse uh, 3, he says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. In verse 4, he says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. He knew that when God judged him for the sin he had committed, that he deserved it. And he says, Therefore he confessed it directly to God. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. If you look down in verse 15 now, he says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. He was wanting restoration of the joy of salvation. He wanted God to direct his words, the words of his mouth. And my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Been pretty easy for David to say, well, okay, I've sinned, and I'll just bring a bullock or a lamb, and that'll take care of it. God says, no, there's got to be something in the way of repentance before the sacrifice is offered. So he says, thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. But he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. So the sacrifice God wanted was a was for David to repent. You see, we can't buy our way back into fellowship with God, regardless of how great sacrifices we may offer. Even though God had ordained the sacrifices in the Old Testament economy, economy, yet they were only as good as the person offering with repentance and in faith. That sacrifice was only as good for even any Israelite as was their personal, individual repentance and faith in offering that sacrifice. You see, that's why God became sick and tired of their sacrifices at one point in time. And in the prophets, he speaks of the fact. He says, bring no more vain oblations. Bring no more bloody sacrifices. In other words, stop all this sacrificing because you're not, your heart is not in it. He says, bring your heart and then bring your sacrifice. And so God wanted them to repent. Just as much as he wanted, as David realized that in this psalm. He says, Thou desirest not uh, a sacrifice, in verse 16. Then he says, The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And when men really and truly repent of their sins, then God is ready to receive us. Look at verse uh, 18. He says, Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. 
And build thou the walls of Jerusalem. David uh, prayed for the uh, uh, national blessings upon Israel. <clears throat> and he desired these national blessings on Israel. He had just realized that the eternal uh, things of religion would not atone for his sin and he needed uh, the sacrifice of a broken spirit. And then he begins to pray for all of Israel. And then verse 19 he says, Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. If a person will bring the sacrifice of righteousness, in other words, if everything is made right, then he will be pleased with the burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thy altar. You see how God wants, with a sacrifice that's offered to him, a true heart and a repentant heart. Now then, let's look at the uh, 52nd Psalm. Psalm 52. And we'll try to get some things on it. And... We might talk about wealth and wickedness here, first of all, in the case of one person, and then God's blessed man on down in verse uh, uh, 8 and 9 in this 52nd Psalm. It only has nine verses. But in order to understand this Psalm, the deeds of Doeg should be kept in mind. In 1 Samuel 22, verse 7 through 22, we find Doeg was a uh, proud man, and he had a high office in the kingdom under Saul. And uh, by his deceitful tongue and wicked manipulation, he brought about much evil and the death of 85 holy men, holy priests of God, all because of his deceit. And this man is dealt with by David here. In fact, if you read the uh, caption in front of the uh, right, in, where it says Psalm 52, it says, David contemning condemning Dove, prophesied his destruction. It says, To the chief musician, Mashal, a psalm of David, when Dove the Edomite came and told Saul and said unto him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. And so this is a man that was spreading gossip. He was using deceit to manipulate things his way. And he was causing all kinds of evil. And then later on, we'll read well, in a reference, possibly we'll give it later, where that when uh, some men refused to go and slay these priests that Saul wanted slain, uh, we find that uh, he w- uh, that they wouldn't do it, but this man was willing to do it, and he slew eighty-five of the priests, God's priests, and their families at, at the same time, and that'll come later in our lesson. So this is a rebuke against this kind of a man. And so he says in verse 1, Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? He was a mighty man. And then he says, The goodness of God endureth continually. Job was a proud man because he had a high office. And because he had a high office, he abused his privileges. And there are many people that abuse their privileges when placed in a place of authority. But he shows in this verse also that in spite of the fact that Dove was this kind of a man, David says that the goodness of God endureth continually, that God's goodness is constant, that it's always there. In verse 2 we find that Dove had a deceitful tongue. Look in verse 2. Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. He could tell the truth in such a way to the king to do mischief because it it was, not, it was what he did not tell that did all the damage. He didn't tell the whole truth. 
And a lot of people say, well, I told the truth. Yes, but did you leave the wrong impression by what you said and leaving short of the full truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Some people can say, oh, yes, that, was much, that much was true. Well, but then he misused it and he manipulated it so that he failed to tell the whole truth and it's what he did not say that brought about the mischief. You could make one statement about a person that was good and at the same time leave the false impression because of something that you uh, were, were, were using in, in the way you said it to mislead people. And that's what he was doing. He was talking about a situation as far as David was concerned and Ahimelech. And you go back and read the story and you'll find that it was what he did not say in the fullest extent that brought about the evil. Half-truths are often worse than no truth at all. And in our language today, Dove would be called a smear artist. That's what I hate about these sound bites they have on these newscasters, you know. They'll, they'll grab one or two words that a fellow says, or a sentence that he says, jerk it completely out of the context and say, so-and-so said this, but they didn't hear what went before or what came after. They didn't hear his, his reason for giving that kind of a statement to start with, and the explanation of it after. And they'll grab that sound bite, you know, and make the public think, so-and-so said this. Well, they may have said that, but keep it in the context. You know, I've said a lot of things. This morning I said some things. A few things. <laughs> and I talked about a, a, a young preacher over here. And I meant no harm to this young man whatsoever. I was just using it to illustrate. And I, I think all of you understood that. But see, if that's taken out of this context, somebody says, Brother Joyce said this about this preacher. Well, I didn't say nothing about him that he and I both didn't talk about. We both talked about uh, But you see, people will grab that and they'll take it out of its context and they'll go and, and smear you all over the country with something that you say. And that's what this man was good at. And look, thy tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. And then verse 3 and 4. Thou lovest evil more than good, and thy lying, and lying rather than to speak righteousness, Selah. Dove loved violence and deception. That's what he loved. He loved not good at all. He preferred evil. He preferred lying rather than the truth. You find there's, there's a lot of people like that. If they can stir up mischief, if they can gossip, if they can cause anyone some heartache, if they can mislead someone, if they can manipulate people, to doing what they want to do, even if they have to lie about someone else. They get their own will and way done. Never mind who it hurts. They'll just go on that way. And verse uh, 4 says, Thou lovest all devouring words. All devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. David was speaking about how deceitful this man was because he had known by experience. <clears throat> In verse uh, 5, you'll see the doom. It says, God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He had an eternal destruction waiting. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living. Selah. You know, uh, when God gets a hold of the situation and brings judgment, it's pretty much final, isn't it? His house would not even be a safe dwelling place and a refuge. You know, we, we claim our houses are a place of refuge. All of us want to go home and get within the walls of our house and be in the comforts and blessings of our house and our dwelling. But notice what he says about his dwelling. He says, And pluck, he shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place. 
You want to have a place to dwell. In other words, you will be uh, not comfortable in your own dwelling place. It would not be a safe place of refuge. Let me read Isaiah 28, verse 17 for you. Isaiah 28 and verse 17. Listen to this. It says, Judgment also I will, will I lay to the line and righteousness to the plummet. And, and hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies. And the waters shall overflow the hiding place. God has a way of sweeping away the refuge of lies. And he, this man back in Psalm 52, uh, had a refuge in lies and in his deceit. And it says in verse uh, 5 again, And root thee out of the land of the living. Out of the land of the living. He would be rooted up or plucked up like a tree by the roots. So three things, the doom of Dove. His destruction was to be eternal. His house or dwelling place would not be a safe place of refuge. And he would be plucked up like a tree. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And Dove would serve as a warning to others. This would be a warning to other people, wouldn't it? You look at verse 6. It says, The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Lo, this man, verse 7, this is the man that made not God his strength. Okay, this would warn. He made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches. Evidently, David knew something about his wealth and strengthened himself in his wickedness. His riches and his wickedness was his strength. And he would be a warning to others. And those great mistakes, what? What did he do? He left God out of his life completely. And he trusted in his wealth. He says that he trusted in the abundance of his riches, verse 7. And strengthened himself in his wickedness. Look at that. He strengthened himself in his wickedness. I've heard of men strengthening themselves in their faith and strengthening themselves in in their uh, uh, spiritual life. But to strengthen yourself in your wickedness, to make it, to become stronger in the wickedness you do. That's really getting off on the wrong track, isn't it? And to trust in your wealth is a great mistake. It says here, he trusted in the abundance of his riches, verse 7. The Bible says the riches are take wings and fly away. Wealth is gone. There have been many people that have been wealthy in their life, lifetime and have ended up in poverty. Some of you know a lady that uh, I preached her funeral not long back. Now, it calls that Ms. Hopkins. I won't... I want to I'll mention directly so you'll know. A sweet elderly lady. When her husband died, I preached his funeral and caused that. But when he died, I was by his, by his de- with him at his deathbed down here in this Timberline Motel where he passed away. Uh, we're next to the little uh, village restaurant there now. But anyway, they had he had... Her husband left her with stocks and bonds and the son with money. They all had money. They had plenty. He had good provision for them. They had assets. And many of you know the story. Odie knows the story. Lois knows the story. Some of the others of you possibly. And they had a son that was given to drink. And he drank every bit of that money up. And wasted it on what? Like the prodigal. Riotous living. And she ended up in an individual uh, kind of a home type health care in Roswell. And had no money whatsoever, except maybe a little Social Security at that time. 
in that paper or keep. But she was well off. They were well off. He was well off. The son would have been well off. But you see what happened? Uh, and of course, I'm not saying they trusted in the riches. I'm just saying that, they, that there have been many people well provided for that have lost it all. And there are many reasons for losing it. In this case, it was a sad case, wasn't it? That, that all the provision that the good husband, a good man, had left was thrown away by alcohol and drugs. And the boy died before she did in a tragic situation. But see, what I'm saying is, it's temporal, isn't it? But then how much more, or I shouldn't say how much more, but how awful it is too for a man to be wealthy and not consider God at all and then die in his foolishness like the rich man that had the barns, remember? He says, I will build greater barns and I will say to my soul, so thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Uh, take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. And then what happened? God said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And it says, So is every man that, is, that uh, trusts in his riches and is not rich toward God. A man that depends upon his riches. So, you, uh, it, the proper use of, of money and wealth and provisions that God has given you and whatever He's blessed you with by His grace, whatever He's given you, the proper use is to provide for your needs and to share it with others as you, feel, as you uh, are led to do under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. But the main thing is to not think that those riches are the main thing. Put God first and the riches and the wealth and the money and the materialism will take care of itself. It'll just take care of itself. Uh, the Bible says, seek, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And by the way, He was not talking about all the luxuries. He said all these things because He was talking about the lilies of the field being clothed, the birds of the air finding uh, their food, and God providing for them in a miraculous and wonderful way in His providence. And so in His providence He will provide. He says, Are not ye of more value than many spouse? And so He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these, that is the necessary things, shall be added unto you. And then God usually gives you more than those necessary things. He gives you some additional blessings and even a few luxuries along the way. So always be thankful to God for what you have and use it wisely. Use it in the way that God would have you to use it. But you see, now the last three verses of this uh, 52nd Psalm, look at verse 8. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of, in the house of God. Look at that. From verse 8 on down, 8 and 9, we, we'll find God's blessed man. He says, I'm like a green olive tree. Remember, the olive represents the uh, olive oil was used in anointing the kings and the priests, the priests and then the kings of the Old Testament, a special anointing and blessing from God. And so this is symbolical of God's richest blessings. In Psalm 1, it says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit, be fruitful like a green olive tree. A live and fruitful tree planted by the rivers of water which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's God's blessings. Here's God's blessed man. I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. Notice where he was. In the house of God. 
I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. You see, the place for real blessings is the house of God. People say, you know, I can stay out of church and be just as good a Christian. Not so. Don't ever let anyone feed you that Tommy rot. It doesn't mean that if you miss a service, you're going to lose your salvation. It doesn't mean if you have to uh, go on a vacation somewhere or uh, uh, that whatever happens that you may be providentially hindered or even if you have a sickness in your family or other things. But your place is in the house of God if you're a child of God. It's where you belong. That's where the blessings are. And he says, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. God has commanded His blessing. Jesus said, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he tells us, Not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. How are we going to exhort one another if we're scattered from here and yon on the hills? You see, if none of us get together, how are we going to exhort one another? If you're not here, and I'm not with you, and you're not with me, I can't exhort you and you can't exhort me. We have to get together sometime, don't we? And God has seen uh, the plan and uh, for us and laid out the plan that we assemble together and therefore the exhortation comes. Have you ever noticed that the very uh, time that a person misses a service, that's, the, that's really the sermon and the lesson they needed? It's, it usually happens every time. And God, you know, it, it reminds me of old Thomas. After the resurrection, it says, And Thomas was not with them when Jesus showed himself to them. And the next time Jesus came, and Thomas was there, you know, another time, and then he cured his doubts and fears about the situation. In the house of God. The place for God's man is in God's house. 1 Timothy 3, let me read it for you. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Notice what it says. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. He says, Timothy, I want you to know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God. And he says, it's the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And he says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of Godliness. God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. And he gives you the whole uh, message of Christ's uh, humanity, his incarnation, uh, how, how he was justified in the spirit, he fulfilled the word of God, he was seen of angels, he was preached unto the Gentiles by during his ministry and later during the ministry of the apostles, and he was believed on in the world. And he was received up into glory and he's seated on the right hand of God, isn't he? So we find that uh, the house of God is a wonderful place for people to be. Now then in verse 8 again, back in our Psalm 52, verse 8. He says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. He trusted in God's mercy, not in his own wisdom and in his own strength. You and I need to let our own... uh, strength and our own wisdom go out and God's wisdom and God's strength be put in place. It's kind of like Peter, you know, he says, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both to prison and to death. That was self-confidence. That was boasting. Jesus said, Before the cock crows twice, thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And then Peter began to, to follow afar off 
he became weak in prayer. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus, and he could not watch one hour. And then he followed afar off, and then he then he began to sit down. He, he sat down among the the gossipers, the enemy's fire, and then he began to to deny the Lord. So it was a step after step, backsliding. He not only got far off uh, physically or geographically, but he got off, far off spiritually. Walked at a distance from the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 9. Let me read this for you. Jeremiah chapter 9. Now remember what we read. He says, uh, I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. Jeremiah chapter 9. In verse 23 it says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. See? Let not the mighty man glory, uh, the wise man glory in his wisdom, the mighty man glory in his might, the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, what is it? That he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Let him realize where his blessings come from. You know, a lot of times we don't realize where our blessings come from. It says, look, let him glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, a knowledge and a fellowship with the Lord. And then, that I am, I am the Lord which exerciseth loving kindness, judgment, righteousness, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. And this is what David was depending upon. He trusted in God's mercy, not his own uh, strength, or his own wisdom. And then in verse 9 of this uh, 52nd Psalm, look at verse 9. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it, and I will wait on thy name, for it is good before thy saints. He had a spirit of praise for God. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it, because of what God has done in his mercy and in his goodness. And he says, and I will wait on thy name, for it is good before thy saints. He knows how to be patient and wait upon God. You know, usually we, we get in such a fizz and such a uh, strain and such a anxiety that we just don't have any time to wait on God. But the Bible says, I believe it's Isaiah 40, verse 31, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. See? Three things. If you have patience and wait upon God... You might even be able to fly for a while. Mount up with wings as eagles. You'll get to some great heights. And then you might be even able to run. And they shall run and not be weary. But I wonder how many people can walk and not faint. You come down to that lower level. You're not going to fly all the time. And you're not going to run always. But you can always walk with God. And if you'll learn to walk with God, and that's an important thing. Some people just have no patience. And they that wait upon the Lord will learn patience along the way. Now then, I want you to notice in Psalm 53 the evil nature of mankind. And it says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Look at that verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. This psalm is much like the 14th with a few variations. Remember the, the 14th psalm says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God if you have it handy. Psalm 14 refers to an early period of history 
And this later analysis of mankind shows conditions have not uh, improved, notwithstanding all that has been done by the time they got to the 53rd Psalm. Mankind is plagued with the fatal disease of sin, and nothing had improved. But look at Psalm 51, I mean 53, verse 1. It says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Atheism is a sin of the heart. Not to believe God is a sin of the heart. It's a heart disease. It's a sin. Well, we've got a lot of atheists in the world today and in our nation. In fact, they've got the atheistic, atheist uh, churches, congregations of atheists. And they've got atheists that are promoting atheism. And they've got people in our uh, high ups that believe no God at all. Atheistic-minded people. Well, the Bible says they're fools. The Bible says a fool has said in his heart there is no God. And notice, it, it's really meaningful to him. It's inside of him. He just doesn't believe in God at all. You say, believe in your a congressman or your president or your a governor or a, a man or a scientist or a doctor or a lawyer. Believe in them, but don't believe in God. No, don't believe in Believe in God first, and then you f- pick out the good ones of these others that you can put your, your trust in to help you along whatever line or profession he's in. But you believe in God first. But the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity and there is none that doeth good. See, atheism gives liberty to an evil heart. Uh, Paul quotes it in the third chapter of Romans. Listen. In Romans chapter 3, look at this. Beginning with verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all uh, gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. An evil heart. It says, corrupt are they and have done abominable. Back in Psalm 53, verse 1. There is none that doeth good. And Paul elaborates that on, on that in, in Romans chapter 3. He elaborates on all that's said about the fool and the foolish man. And then finally he concludes that all have sinned, both Jew and Gentile, all mankind. He says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, back in Romans 3. And he wrote first concerning uh, one and then the other. And he finally came to the conclusion that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that there's none righteous, no, not one. So there are foolish men of, of all... Races, creeds, and colors. And it says in verse 2, you have 53 verse 2, God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any (coughs) that did understand, that did seek God. God looked down and He saw the wickedness of man. God looked down upon the earth in the days of uh, Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, it says God looked and then... He says, I'm going to come down and destroy. And he came down. Jesus came down from heaven. And then he laid down his life for our sins. And then he's coming down again. The Lord looked down, lay down, came down. He's coming down. But the Lord is concerned about what goes on upon this earth. And he says, the Lord, look. Look down. from God looked down from heaven upon the children of men. And he looked down to see if there were any that did understand that did seek God. What did he find? Everyone seeking God? He says, he looked to see if there was anyone that was seeking after God. Did you know men do not seek after God until God first seeks after them? 
God is seeking you before you sought Him. You say, well, I turned to God and I sought God. Yes, but God sought you first. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? They were hiding in the tree, amongst the trees. They clothed with fig leaves, aprons of fig leaves. And they were hiding amongst the trees of the garden. And what did they, what did God say? They heard the voice, Adam heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And, and God said, Adam, where art thou? Well, God knew where he was all the time. But Adam wasn't out there saying, now I've sinned and I've got to find God. He knew where to find God, but he, he didn't want to find God. He wanted to hide. And so uh, God says, Adam, where art thou? He says, uh, I heard thy voice and I was afraid. He says, what made you afraid? Have you eaten of the tree that I said not to eat of? He says, uh, did I forbade thee to eat of? He says, the woman that thou gavest me, she gave me and I did it. And the woman says, the devil made me do it. Right? And boy, we've all got a way of blaming the other fellow. Some way, you know, the other day someone was blaming someone else for something. And uh, I was thinking, you know, that's just as old as Adam and Eve, isn't it? Just as old as Adam and Eve. If you hadn't have done this, I wouldn't have done that. You know, it would in other words, it was my fault that I got in this car wreck because you came down the road, you know. If you hadn't have been there, I'd not have to dodge you and I wouldn't have been in this car wreck. Kind of reminds me of that day Randy and I was sitting there in the coffee shop one day. <laughs> and the fellow pulled out a little far, too far in the highway. All of a sudden, he t- takes a notion he wants to back up because the traffic's pretty heavy and he doesn't even look back and he backs up. Wham! Brand new vehicle. And he gets out and he looks at that guy. Well, the guy just pulled up a little closer when he pulled up and didn't give him very much room. And he, he backed up and backed right into him, knocked his uh, tail light out on that new vehicle. And anyway, he could have said, Fella, if you hadn't got so close behind me, I wouldn't have gotten this trouble. It wasn't my fault because you were too close behind me, you know. Why did you get that close? And the other guy would say, Well, why did you back up without looking, seeing I was there too? So, you know, the thing about it is we have a way of blaming other people. But God knows how to straighten out the whole mess, doesn't He? It says uh, in verse uh, 2, He looked down to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. And God sought us out through His Word, through His witness, through the message, through the Bible, through the, by the Holy Spirit. And then it says, Every one of them has gone by. They are all... They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Well, that includes all of mankind, doesn't it? There's not a man, there's not a man upon the earth. The Bible says, in fact, this puts it pretty strong in Ecclesiastes. He says, there's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Well, if there's not a just man that doeth good and sinneth not, there's certainly not a wicked man that does good and sins not, Right? But God says, not a just man <clears throat> upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. We're all uh, only justified by the grace of God and saved in that way. And, and we have His imputed righteousness, according to Romans chapter 4. And so atheism darkens the understanding. He says, see if there's any that did understand. And atheism enslaves the will. And atheism is a return to a savage life. Look in verse 3. Everyone has gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. It, it uh, is a return to a savage life. They're gone aside, it says in Psalm 14, and in 
Psalm 53 here, it says they're gone back. Gone aside and gone back. In verse 4 now, notice what it says in verse 4. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread? They have not called upon God. Atheism has a hatred for God's people. A hatred for God's people. Remember, Jesus says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Did you know atheism does hate God's people? You try to introduce the Bible like Brother uh, Nichols was reading about uh, teachers and schools and things like that. And you see where you get if you've got an atheistic professor or leaders out in the school, in the schools. Atheism is a hatred for God's people. Now look at the next statement. It says in verse 5, There were they in great fear, where no fear was. For God has scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee, that has put them to shame, because God hath despised them. They were in great fear, where no fear was. Atheism produces cowards as well. In Proverbs 28, verse 1, it says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth. They don't know what they're running away from. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. They're scared to death. Some never fight unless they have the advantage. They're like a bully. If they can get the advantage of you, all right. But brother, if you face them, or if they think there's anything to fear out there, they're going to go. And then we find something else. The final victory, and we'll close with this, rests with God's people in verse 6. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come, come out of Zion. When God bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. The final victory belongs to God's people. It says, Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. I want you to notice something here. The salvation of Israel will come out of Zion. When God bringeth back the captivity of his people, Israel was his people. Now then, look at this. Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. Do you get the impact of that? That's the same person, isn't it? Jacob and Israel. Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. 